This is the Volleyball Coaching Wizards podcast, covering everything coaching. Motivated and inspired by interviews and conversations with some of the world's great volleyball coaches. To learn more about the project, visit VolleyballCoachingWizards.com. Now here are your hosts, John Foreman and Mark Levijou. Welcome to episode 22 of the podcast. This time we've got high school and juniors coach Ryan Mitchell, who shares his views on using jump counts in combination with jump intensity and jump height as a way of keeping track of hitter and and generally player fitness and conditioning levels throughout the course of a match in much the same way as a a baseball manager would take a look at uh, pitcher pitch counts to see where they're at and and assess whether a change might might need to be made in terms of match situation or from a grander scheme of things, maybe in terms of uh, conditioning work. I think this is a really interesting idea, and Mark and I have a, a pretty good discussion on it. By the way, make sure to head on over to iTunes and leave a review of the podcast. We'd really appreciate the feedback. All right, on with the show. We started using the VERT technology that measures um, attack jumps and how many jumps kids are taking. That's going to be instrumental, much like a pitch counts instrumental in pitching, where we're putting a lot of un, un, unneeded reps and jumps on kids' bodies, um, unnecessary jumps. Um, the vert technology is going to allow us to be able to keep kids at a you know quote unquote pitch count or a jump count during practice. Um, so that's going to be huge. So those are some things that we've used right away. Um, we use radar guns for our serving. Um, I'm trying to think what other kind of things we use, but I mean those are all technology stuff that. They weren't in my practice 10 years ago, for sure. <laughs> right. Uh, what's, uh, what's your threshold for jumps? That's a good, it's a good question that you're talking about that, because I'm, I'm debating that right now, trying to come up for my, my new one this season. But uh, So I guess the answer is right now, I'm not comfortable giving you a comfortable answer, but I think, I think it's different for every kid, right? I think that just like in pitch counts, some shoulders are meant to throw a little bit more and some are less. I think kids could say the same thing. I think you've got to know your kids individually enough to know at what threshold of jumps are they unable to max jump anymore. And then at what percentage does it start decreasing so much that it becomes harmful and or becomes uh, not useful in a match. You know, if, if some kids 90% jump might be incredible. You know, where some kids 90% jump puts them off the starting lineup. And, and I think as a coach, that technology is able to go, man, when this kid gets under this threshold, she becomes unable to hit the high line shot anymore. Then, then that becomes valuable information as a coach to be able to limit that amount of jumping she can do so that way toward the end of the match she's able to jump max and be able to hit that high line shot. Or I've got to use my deep bench at the time that she reaches that pitch count, uh, or that jump count, I should say. So uh, I, I think that technology has just started to get us where it's going to go. Um, and being able to get the feedback that we could use. And, you know, I don't know if volleyball eventually gets into the analytics like baseball and football are getting into, but I could definitely see it coming. Um, a lot of people have, have talked about using jump testing devices, like the, the vert specifically, and obviously there's been jump testing involved in the sport for years as an evaluative tool. But Ryan brings up an interesting point about kind of jumping – in a parallel to pitch count in baseball, um, 
and I would imagine there's probably other other sports and other skills or other or techniques that that could be put in a similar boat. In terms of now, we have a chance to actually. I mean, I, I suppose you could have if you had an assistant coach on the bench, just counting jumps, or a trainer, or somebody a physio. Uh, maybe people have done this before, but now you get something that's that not only tells you how many jumps, but actually tells you how high they were. Uh, yep. So you get to see the effectiveness, um, which is, I know when I first was with Ruben Abul, and we were talking about him using the verts over there, mm -hmm. you know, my, my initial reaction was, oh yeah, well, knowing how high a guy jumps is, that's fantastic, whatever. But I'd be more curious to see where the performance levels are, you know, what does he look like in, in set five? You know, so how's the conditioning of the team and that sort of stuff. So when Ryan brought up this pitch count idea, it kind of really, you know, caught caught me thinking along a very similar line. Um, I, it's an it's an interesting point. It's and it's probably the central point that we think about when we talk about uh, training load in volleyball is is the the number of jumps. And um, if I go back to my uh, career. Uh, when I was the scholarship coach in the Australian national team, I actually did a project that was my major project for the season was on quantifying the the number of jumps that we did in in matches and uh, and practice and the the way that we were working it was that I was counting the jumps in particular drills and then uh, giving those drills ratings that we could use in the future for, for monitoring load. Uh, as it turned out, I didn't end up finishing that project uh, because I was moved on from the position, but it's uh, something that a lot of coaches have been thinking about for a long time. The, the, vert, the vert by itself is a really interesting tool. I, I've used it a, a little bit my, myself and uh, I used an early version of it. I understand that it's much, much better now than it was before, but um, the early version I had had some connection problems um, and uh, we also found that it had uh, accuracy problems, which was uh, um, a, little bit, a little bit surprising because we, we uh, tested it against uh, um, a force mat with a, with a physiologist and we had wildly differing um, differing scores but as I said that's a that's an early version mm -hmm. and uh, but the the two points that you make are, are, are interesting points firstly the number of jumps and uh, uh, we look at that in practice if we uh, if we take statistics from practice we can have a, a rough idea um, how it rates to a match so if we count the number of spikes that somebody has, we know roughly if it's 70, 90, 120, 200% of a, of a match. Uh, that's the, the one way that we can go about it. Um, but the second one, and as you, as you pointed out, I think is the most interesting possibility is, the, is uh, using it to, to measure fatigue. And, and uh, all of the testing, as far as I'm aware, um, and it could could have changed in the last few years, but but testing is normally done in a quasi laboratory setting or a field testing setting where it's a maximum 
it's a maximum jump. So um, uh, it's without a ball, it's without a um, some kind of outside stimulus. You you just jump against a against a wall or a backboard or a vertex um, and and see how you go. And that's interesting in some small way, but the the much more interesting thing is how the jump uh, is in a match type situation and secondly how it changes over the course of a match so if somebody is uh, um, jumping one meter in set one and 65 centimeters in set five then that's really important information that we don't currently have except uh, by eyeballs right um, now you and I both got involved or at least were watching a thread I think that was on Twitter where somebody yeah. said there were in the women's game there was some ridiculous number of jumps I don't know if it was 200 or 300 or some really high number um, did was there ever any conclusion as to what an average jump count was in a match uh, I I think that the the volley sim was the um, was the Twitter the yeah, website right. the company that that uh, promoted that number uh, and I think they did post a, an article at some point that uh, actually had, was nowhere near 300. And the the reason that, the reason that I pointed so firstly, what happened was they said uh, they said that people in a volleyball match can spike up to 300. Uh, sorry, jump up to 300 times, which um, I know from my personal studies is is out by a factor of. Uh, two or three depending on how you have what jumps you count but the interesting thing was that i'd heard that before i and um i actually seen it presented at an fivb coaches course which is uh, perhaps a little bit surprising but um so also for that reason um i was interested to see what the the research for that was and and uh, uh yeah 300 is uh, is a wildly inflated number even Okay, women's volleyball maybe maybe it's two hundred on a really long game between two Asian teams. Yeah, and it was the setter, the shove setting every single time. I, I mean, maybe maybe in that circumstance, I could I could see that. Uh, uh, I've done it a few times over the years, so in different leagues, and uh, for men's volleyball, professional. Uh, rally point it's fairly consistent that um, uh, a, a setter who's jump serving can can get close to 150 in a five set match so it works out at may maximum 1.1 jumps per minute um, and after that it's a, a middle blocker who jump serves and I don't count jump float serves as jumping um, so middle blocker who spike serves uh, maybe can get up to 120 because they're jumping a, a lot on uh, first tempo without attack and uh, uh, yeah so you know it's it's way off 300. So where does where did you find the outside hitters the pin hitters? Uh, much less than you'd expect. So we're sort of 80 to 100. So 80 to 100 for the uh, all for all the outsides, so including the the opposite. Mm -hmm. So 
yeah, the out, outside hitters um, don't do that much at all, actually. <laughs> Spectators, apparently. Um, uh, well, they're involved in a lot of actions, but they're right. not doing as much jumping as the, the other positions. Yeah. Although one could make the contention that more of a higher percentage of their jumps are max jumps than perhaps the other positions. Uh, than the center or the middles, yes, definitely. Because yeah. even, even uh, middle blockers, even in blocking, aren't, uh, a lot of those jumps aren't maximal. They're, they're sort of they're a late read block on a first tempo right. or yep. things like that. Yep. Well, and I think that's, that's a consideration in the whole question of what is your jump count? It's, it's, well, what's the quality, for lack of a better term, of the jumps that you're doing? Uh, and you kind of have to factor that into the whole equation. Well, that's the one of the attractions, of course, of the vert is that it it lets you do that, and um, it. Uh, I think that the newer versions are are good enough that you can um, at least roughly work out which is a different, which is a block jump, which is a spike jump, because mm -hmm. they're different heights. Yeah. Um, uh, so that that part makes uh, makes a difference as well. Yeah, it'd be nice if it if uh, I mean because right now it feeds into an app on your tablet. Uh, but yes. You know, if it fed into something a little bit more analytic, and maybe they maybe they've got something like that at, at higher levels. I don't I don't really know, um, but it would be an interesting thing to see. I I haven't looked at it for for a couple of years. As I said, I, I was working with. Uh, the first version that they had, which, um, and they're at least one version more yeah. since then. Well, I know uh, Ruben was using them last year during preseason. Yeah. And I mean, it, it was, it was mainly a question of, okay, how many, he was using the middles as his benchmark, you know, how many, yeah. how many jumps are the middles getting? And, you know, if, if the middles were kind of up in that hundred range, then, you know, okay, that's about where you'd expect them to be. If you're pushing in too practice. much above that, then, as you say, you bring back the load question. In practice? Yeah. The The complication with the mirrors is the way that a lot of, a lot of, but not all, squads are organized is uh, that they'll carry only three mirrors, mm -hmm. yep. uh, which means that mm, they rotate through faster than they actually do in a, in a game. Right. So, um, a hundred... A hundred jumps for a middle in that situation uh, might mean, or it likely means, that everybody else is doing less than the standard. True, but so for the middles, it's actually a, a slightly heavier load than than it would be otherwise. Uh, yeah, yes, yes. So whenever you're looking at at loads, that's a, a really important. Uh, that's a really important part of it. So. Uh, you have to pay attention to, to all of those things. And, um, I was uh, telling the story about coaching beach volleyball just recently. So I coached beach volleyball for a time and uh, I had something of a, a rude awakening when I, I did all my, all my drills. I got through all my drills and practice was over in 45 minutes because, because the players were exhausted. Yeah. Because I'd done all of the drills at the same rhythm that I would with 12 players in the gym, and uh, there was only two, so 
as I said, they were they were fairly shattered, and I had to uh, change my um, uh, my idea pretty fast. Right, right. All right. Well, let's let's carry on with the the question of load then. Um, what are you thinking of in terms of of training load when you're developing your your plan your schedule for your trainings? Uh, I try to. Uh, I don't work with the traditional cycling, the macro, micro, meso uh, cycling, um, uh, in a very specific sense. In a in a general sense, yes. So. Um, I want some weeks to be a little bit harder than than other weeks, and I'll uh, I'll keep that in keep that in mind. Um, and over the course of a single week, uh, change the the variation or change the the load so that uh, we wouldn't ever do three really hard days in a row, for example. So um, the third the third day in a in a sequence would might be. Um, more based, more reception focused, or or defence from a box, or or something like that, and that's that actually is one area where those kinds of um, uh, analytic or uh, closed closed drills come in handy, is in uh, is in controlling the, the load of practice while still getting uh, some work uh, in. All right, now go back and define your terms. The the macro, micro, mezzo, all that stuff. Uh, well, there's the. Uh, I guess now you would say the traditional way of organising a training program is in cycles. So um, a year is broken up into cycles um, of uh, traditionally preparation, uh, early preparation, competition preparation, competition, uh, and transition. So, which is um, uh, off season, uh, and then those four phases are broken up into uh, maybe two or three more phases, which are sometimes called mesocycles, like I said. Um, and uh, the uh, then the small cycles, uh, uh, the smaller uh, groupings are broken up into microcycles, which is typically a week. And each of those, you change the load from cycle to cycle, uh, with the goal of um, uh, getting to the final point uh, in the best shape possible. Right. So that incorporates the idea of, of peaking at certain points during the course of the season. Uh, yes. Yes. Exactly. That is the process by which one peaks. Mm -hmm. And you say you 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 don't. You don't do that in the broad scheme, but but obviously in the in the, the more narrow scheme. Um, and um, I would, yeah. It's actually at this point, particularly with uh, with team sports or with uh, ball sports, there's there is a little bit of uh, debate about the usefulness of of cycling, uh, just in in general in general terms. Um, because so much of it is based on technique and reading the game and um, and those kinds of things. So, in yeah. general, there's a bit of discussion about that. But uh, it's just uh, something that I, I did when I, I began coaching. I, I paid a fair bit of attention to it. But um, there are just so many 
seeing different things that happen from day to day, from week to week, that um, they're going through a long planning process. It's not always a valuable use of time. Well, and I think actually it was Ismo Peltoarvo who talked about having different players on different cycles, so to speak, um, yeah. because the developmental players would be on a different cycle than your, your presumed starters, for example. Yeah. Um, so that was an interesting kind of idea. And just the, the basic fact that players are going to develop at different, different speeds makes it a challenge to try to plan everything out for the team overall. Uh, yeah, the development factors, technical factors um, go into it, uh, definitely. But but also the, the differences, different people um, in a group setting, different people react to training in a different way. Um, they have different levels of fatigue, they have different speeds of recovery, uh, and not all of those things, indeed a lot of those things you, you can't necessarily plan for. Right. Exactly. There's also a lot of variation in terms of the way you approach a season based on whether or not you know your advancement is dependent upon you winning the regular season or do you automatically qualify for playoffs or, or you know something along those lines. Because if you you know if you're like the English Premier League and the champion is the champion at the end of the year and that's it, you have to be at your best pretty much week in and week out. You can't afford to slack off during certain parts of the season and, and then try to pick it back up again. Whereas with you know, a lot of the European leagues in volleyball, you've got the playoffs at the end. So you don't necessarily have to be playing at your best week in and week out when you know that, okay, we want to be playing our best volleyball at the end. But that And that also ties in with, with the, the, the whole idea of recovery that you are a big fan of. Um, the the, the, the things that you describe um, fit into traditional cycling um, theory. It's the, the point is uh, always about when you want your, uh, your important points, when you want your peaks to be, so, and you mm -hmm. cycle around that. So, so that part um, fits in without any problem at all. But, but you are, you're talking um, important dis, uh, distinctions there. So different teams um, need to peak at different times of the seasons. And the one thing that uh, I always, there are two things that stick in my mind and they're both Australian football stories. And one was a, a team that was uh, new to the league. So they were playing their very first season in the league. They were in American parlance an expansion team and their, their whole preparation was uh, set up um, around the idea of being good for the first 10 weeks. So they, had, they understood that they needed to firstly make a mark that they belong in the league, but also for the fans, for sponsors, uh, they needed to get them on board early in the, in the season. Um, and what happened, they, they did a really good job of that. They, they had good results in the first half of the season, but um, they were pretty, uh, they burned themselves out and they were terrible at the end. But at that point, it, it was much less important for them. They were never going to make the, the finals. And uh, the, other, the other one 
was the the opposite of that. So a team that um, was was going to make the finals um, and was uh, but were not in the top part of the of the league. So in the the regular season, and they did an extra training load right before the playoffs. Ended up in fifth position or fourth position or whatever it was because they were tired during that period. But then they uh, crushed the the playoffs and and uh, won. So it was uh, uh, like I said. It's the point is when you want to when you want to peak and when you need to be at your best. Right. All right. We're starting to run out of time. So let's circle it back to the jump count idea. Uh, yeah. If you were using the birds today, and you were kind of looking at trying to kind of evaluate the count situation and the load situation, uh, and going back to your earlier research where you were kind of weighting different drills, um, how would you weight things these days, or would you weight things at all? Or would you count certain jumps and not count other jumps? Uh, now. Well, I wasn't the coach in that first period. I was the the intern coach, for want of a better description. Um, so everything's a little bit different. But because I um, do nearly all of my work in uh, what's the word in in game forms, uh, then um, it's it's actually pretty simple. So it's uh, it's how many extra balls go into into a drill. Um, I know that. A high ball game, a game where extra balls are high balls, is the one that carries the most load. So a high ball, uh, a high ball attack is the uh, the most demanding uh, kind of jump that you can do. So um, uh, if I want to do a high ball game, it would be in the first part of the week, uh, and then uh, it depends on. Um, yeah, then there are other different things to take into account. If I have uh, less than twelve, for example, depending on the, uh, the the amount of the load that I want to achieve, uh, depends on if I have uh, five against six or six against five, or or things like that. So um, I look at it from because I do all that training in in that way. Uh, that's why I look at it. I I always have a rough idea of of what I'm going to do. Or what I'm going to, to get out of it, and and what you were saying about doing the, the higher intensity jumps earlier on, that's a that that's a tapering off approach. So if you were doing a taper on, it would be the other way around, right? <laughs> yes, uh, Redbud was a uh, Redbud Strickwetter who was tapering on. Um, yeah, he would uh, do that kind of thing. I would tend to do the other way. My my goal is that uh, the players wake up on game day and feel fantastic. <laughs> okay, uh, I think we can wrap it there. All right. Nice. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For show notes and more, visit volleyballcoachingwizards.com backslash podcast. Got an idea for a future episode or want to ask a question? Send an email to podcast at volleyballcoachingwizards.com.